You're listening to Shep Live with 1FM's Terry Cowley. This week's backstory guest, Robert McLean. Good morning, Rob. Hello, Jerry. Well, let's start at the beginning as we do with these things. You were born in Echuca. You had one sister and you had one brother and you were the youngest by seven years. Yeah, my, my mother, as far as I can understand, had a few miscarriages. So yep. I was quite lucky to be here because, as I said, I'm seven years younger than my sister, mm-hmm. ten years younger than my brother. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I was probably about the, the third um, ch- opportunity or third try. Yep, okay. So... Pretty good childhood, going to the local school in Echuca, you rode, rode your trike. Tell me about, you, you mentioned specifically that you failed grade three. Now, nobody would fail grade three this <laughs> these days. It just wouldn't happen. So obviously that teacher of that year had a bit of an, <laughs> it was stuck in your memory. Yeah, well, I, I really can't remember much about the lady, but I do know that she spent most of her time sitting around cleaning her nails or pruning herself and eating apples or something. Not much, <laughs> not much teaching, so most of us kids failed at year, uh, grade three. I'm sure you caught up. I'm sure it didn't... Uh, well, I know what happened, but... I'm sure it didn't mark you for life. <laughs> so you were called Rat, short for Rat Bag, and then Mate by your family? Well, I'd been called Mate all my life. My, as, I, as I said to you earlier, um, the next-door neighbour who was a young kid too, he couldn't get his, his tongue around Robert. So he called me, my, he said I was my mate. Yeah. So mate stuck and I've been called mate all my life. My brother and my sister still call me mate. <laughs> Fair enough. And it's difficult in the crowd because... <laughs> it would be. People yell out, hey mate, and I think they're talking <laughs> to me, but they're not talking to me at all. So. Yeah, there's a fair few mates around. Mm. And you spend a lot of time playing basketball, football. Just sounds like a really active, happy childhood. Was it? Yeah, it was a pretty active childhood, a pretty happy childhood. Yeah, I spent a lot of time with my dad. My dad was a beekeeper and he was in the bush a lot, so um, I spent a lot of time poking around the bush with dad. Um, and eating honey? Um, was that what it was about? Well, I, we had lots of honey. Mm. I was always amazed that when dad, dad used to sell it from home and um, you could buy a, a, say, a Milo tin full of honey for 20 cents or two, two yeah. bob. It's so expensive these days. And these days, it's probably $20 for the same (laughs) Oh, it would be. It would be. So after school, you... Oh, oh, sorry. I should just not gloss over the family thing like that. Because what about mum? She was pretty important too. (laughs) Yeah. What about mum? Mum was an O'Neill. She was was born in Echuca Village. Um, Her mother lived to 105. So on that basis, I've got pretty good genes, I suppose. Yeah. Good genes helps. It's a big yeah, part of it. It does. I think it makes all the difference ultimately. Was your mother a homemaker or did she have a trade? Or uh, My mother was a homemaker. She played the organ at a local church. So mm-hmm. I was raised in the Church of Christ. And mm-hmm. Not anymore, of course, but I was then. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're an atheist now? Yeah. yeah no, <laughs> no question. Church can have that impact. Yeah. Um, you went to a Tuka Technical College after school thinking you might want to be a teacher, but that didn't last, did it? No, no, I didn't want to be a teacher. You didn't want to be a teacher. No, no, I didn't want to. Oh, tech college. Can't yeah, read my own writing. Technical college. <laughs> Sorry. I don't know why I went there. I guess I had this weird idea I was going to be a tradesman of some sort. Yeah. Um, I just didn't seem to fit with the education system at all. The questions were never right. Uh, I don't know. It just didn't work. Yeah, I, you wouldn't be alone there. No. Um, so you end up being, becoming a cadet journo on the Riverine Herald. Yeah, well, that was it. 
I was at the end of year 11 and I had no idea what I was going to do. I, my family wasn't wealthy enough for me to, to go any, anywhere else or do any sort of university or anything like that. So um, I saw the ad for the cadet journals. I thought I'd apply. And that was when, um, and even in my time, cadet, uh, journalism was a trade, wasn't it? Well, it's become very yeah. professionalised well, now, but it was like you did your yeah, on-the-job training. Yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah there, was, there was no formal training anywhere. You tr- you're trained on the job. So. <laughs> Throw you in. Um, and Single my, my mother was really happy because I had a job that was sort of considered exclusive or was exclusive. I was the only cadet journalist in the, in the Tuka. Very exclusive. Um, and I actually <laughs> wore a tie to work, so she was pretty happy about that. <laughs> Excellent. Now, we're just going to pause on that chronological journey for a minute. So we're just going to leapfrog forward to 1997. You had a, a critical... You were involved in a critical accident. Well, you were on a bike and you were hit by a car. Is that right? Uh, no, actually, I hit the car. You, what you happened, hit the I was, car. I'd been to a, a Harley, Harley owned... Harley Owned, oh God, I can't say it. Harley Davidson Owners Club or something. Yeah, yep. Harley Davidson Owners Group yep. meeting in Melbourne. Mm-hmm. And I was on my way home, it was on a, probably 10 o'clock. Or oh, so you were on a motorbike? Yeah. For some reason, I always thought you were on a. No, I was on a, on a Harley Davidson and I was on my way home. Mm-hmm. And it was about 10 o'clock at night, I think. Um, and I was riding beside, it was a dual, the dual highway, the Hume Highway, and it was on a. Uh, I was riding beside a semi trailer, assuming I was pretty safe. But a bloke came up to a giveaway sign on my on my left. I didn't know he was there, of course, because I couldn't see him. He figured he would beat the transport, which he su- successfully did. But he ended up smack in front of me, so I rode straight into the side of him at probably at 80, 80 kilometres an hour, I suppose. And uh, uh, then you ended up in hospital for two months? Well, I was in hospital till no, I think I got... Well, you were in a coma for two the months. following year, I think. Wow, uh, wow. I think. I've always enjoyed that was a, before I had my accident I'd I'd watched the movie called The Last of the Mohicans and mm-hmm. I always liked it and enjoyed the music and when I was in hospital um although the medicos said they shouldn't my wife and daughter bought a portable CD player thing at the time which had head earphones and they used to play this song to me while I was I guess unconscious because I can't remember it at all but I've always liked the song and it just moves me I just think it's and you, if you watch, listen to the music, watch the movie and feel what's going on, it just has a big impact, well, it has a big, big impact on me. So. Tell me about regaining consciousness because you're in a coma for two months. Um, regaining consciousness was really interesting. It's quite different than what they p- portray on the movies quite often. On the movies they just tend to wake up and then they start talking. Well, for me it took, it, well, I, I don't know for sure, I've got no idea, but... It felt like it took weeks. Um, I can remember being in this big cot-like thing with big walls around it. Um, I can remember being cold. I can remember being trying to climb out of the thing. Um, I just knew it took a long time. It's probably that's my worst memory of the whole accident thing. I've I got no recall of the accident itself. That's completely gone. I've got no recall of when I was in the Royal Melbourne Hospital. Um, they moved me to Bethesda, which was now part of, um, I can't think of the hospital in Richmond, um, Epworth, now part of Epworth. Um, and I can remember being there and I, that's where I regained consciousness. Um, well, I think that's where it was. Well, did, did they expect you to regain consciousness or did they not know? Or? Um, well, well, I really don't know, but my wife tells me that on Christmas Day, the, after my accident, the top uh, neuro bloke at 
the Royal Melbourne took her aside and said, he predicted really bad things for me. He said, I may never talk again, I may never walk again, I may never do all sorts of things again. Obviously, they give you the worst scenario to make it prepare you for the worst, I guess. But as it turned out, um, I haven't been as bad as, as, as imagined. Um, Clearly not. When, 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 I, when I got home, or when, when I was still in hospital, I figured there was one of three things I could do. I could, I could stay like I was, which I thought, well, I can't do that. Um, I could get worse, and I said, well, I certainly didn't want to do that, or I could get better. So I made the effort to get better. So, And hopefully that, well, from my perspective, that certainly worked. How long did it take you to walk again? Um, I, well, I, I really don't know. Apparently, I was still walk. I was walking again in um, in Bethesda. Well, in Bethesda, because my wife so I used to wander around the place and scare mm-hmm. the daylights out of people. Um, and I know they uh, they put me through various therapy in in Bethesda. And I had to try and walk upstairs and stuff. So I was wa- I was learning to walk there. So. Because two two months off your feet is a long time, and you would have um, lost a lot of muscle tone um, and things like that. Yeah, my wife said I was tall and very skinny, mm. and I used to walk around in these strange-looking pyjamas to get a everybody, because I used to wander around the place, but anyway, I can't remember that at all. But um, So it has left you with some impact on your brain? Oh, yeah. I've, I've certainly got a... There's no question I've got a brain injury, Um but and to meet you, I mean, I didn't know you before the accident. To meet you, I, I wouldn't know that. And one of the one of the legacies of a brain is a thing called aphasia, which is has a big has a big impact on your ability to say things and write things and remember things. And but you're sort of always stuff. saying and writing things, Rob. Yeah, I, I know that, but <laughs> because probably probably the thing that's troubled me a lot just recently is I've started a podcast and that requires me to talk on the microphone as I'm doing now I suppose and record what I say well it, well, it takes me forever to edit the whole thing it, like I have to go back and take out all my mistakes and um, it just takes me forever so yeah but maybe you put that some of that down to your <laughs> brain injury Rob but it, whenever we listen, listen to ourselves back we, we kind of go is is that what I sound like? I certainly <laughs> do. Yeah, well, I, I have that trouble a bit with the guests, but um, no, I just make mistakes. So I stutter and stammer and get things wrong. And well, we all do. We all yeah, do. Yeah, I know we do. I know we do. Perhaps um, that is a bit of a segue into talking about climate change because, as you mentioned, you do have a podcast and... That's really a big focus of yours, isn't it? Awakening people to what you would describe as the climate emergency facing us. Yeah. Yeah, well, that, that began in about 2006. My accident was in 1997, and by 2006 I'd sort of regained my, myself a, a, to some extent. And uh, I'd been trying to figure out what I should do with myself because having been a, a reporter all my life, most of I did work for the dark side for a while. I worked for the oil exploration companies in Bass Strait and Western Australia and across the top of Australia. But well, I, that really is the dark side. <laughs> it in, is the dark side. In two ways. <laughs> it is the dark side. Oh. No, when you said dark side, I was thinking meaning, you know, to cross from being a journalist to, to the PR side. No, no, but no. actually it's like, yeah, it's the non-renewable yeah, yeah, dark I, side. I was, I was helping people find fossil fuels. Um Shame on you. Yeah, it is a shame on you. Is this your penance then? Yeah, I know. (laughs) I know, it's terrible stuff. Um, So we were just talking about how you came (laughs) to be so passionate about climate change. As I was saying, 
when I sort of regained myself a little in 2006, I, I discovered the University of Melbourne had free lectures and I had a big interest in community, which I've always had. And so I thought, I discovered one that said something about community. So I went along to that and it happened to be about community and climate change. And it was so moving for me at the time that I've been hooked on the whole climate change conversation ever since. So I've made a point of going backwards and forwards to free lectures at Melbourne University pretty much ever since, sometimes twice a week. Um, normally I go by train, but often if they're late at night, I have to drive to Seymour and take the train from Seymour and then drive home from Seymour. So. But a lot of these things would be online this year, I would imagine. Well, this year's been, <coughs> excuse me, been wonderful because they have been online. Most of them, or nearly all of them, been online. So, I'm sure so a lot much of those, so that I can't keep up. I'll, I'm sure a lot of that that sort of stuff will continue online, which which does improve the accessibility, doesn't it? Oh, I think it's, it's, the only thing about being online is it's different from actually being in the room. Yes, it I, is. I, it I, is. I really can't explain that, but um, oh, I totally agree with you. But at least um, it's certainly been a lot better than not having them at all, which would have been the case oh, this I year. Oh, I agree. I agree. Yeah. So. You have, uh, is it Climate Conversations, the name of your podcast? Yeah, my podcast is called Climate. What, what happened, I, I discovered the, the whole climate thing, followed it for years and years. I, I write a column in the Shepherd and News once a fortnight. Um, I've been told occasionally to back off on the whole climate change stuff. So I'm I've sure you would bit, be. Uh, I've done it a bit and I try to blend in a few other things. But I figured I need to make my voice louder in any way that I possibly could. And I heard about podcasts and oh, I'll try that. So um, I initiated the podcast probably a couple of years ago now. I call it Climate Conversations. Um, and it's been amazing how generous people have been. I, I've spoken to all sorts of people about their feelings about climate change. And I've now had, just the other day, a fellow phoned me from, uh, contact me from uh, Newcastle, who's written a book about the light, the light electric car and climate change. He wanted me to review that and talk to him about that. So that's good that people hearing about it so you can look up that podcast uh via the usual uh platforms it's called climate conversations with rob mclean but you're only to do that after you look up the shep life podcast <laughs> listeners <laughs> so we've kind of uh we, ju- we were talking about your childhood and then we jumped forward we haven't talked about the fact that you were the editor of the shepherd and news for 17 years that is we were just talking, probably the longest serving gig that anyone's had there. Yeah, I think it is. Well, it wasn't actually 17, it was almost 17, I think. But um, You must have covered some stories in your time. Um, I did, actually. Probably the best, I say the best, but there was two stories that stick out in my mind. One was written by Sandra Sizer about some people who found a wedding ring, I think it was a wedding ring, in a plaid paddock, or an engagement ring, I think it was, I can't remember that had been there for about 40 years or something when they found the thing, which was pretty amazing. Then one night, about 7 o'clock, a bloke, a phone, the phone rang and I answered it and this fellow said, I've got a UFO in my backyard. <laughs> I thought, what? <laughs> a UFO in your backyard? That's got to be a great story. <laughs> Even if, it, yeah, whatever happens, it's going to be a good story. But as it turned out, it was, a, was an Air Force helicopter or something, which is just was either the landing or was just near his backyard. Still a so- story, I suppose. Well, still a good story, though. I thought, wow, you were found in your backyard. <laughs> <laughs> Scoop of the century. Yeah. Okay. What made um, you st- I should say, I, I started as a, at the River and Herald. I spent yep. some time as the, as the editor of the, of the, uh, the River. When the Riv, as they call it. The Riviera, that's what they call it, the Riv. I was filling in while they were waiting for a new editor from England to turn up. 
Ah, yes, this is the bloke that got you onto Bruce Springsteen. Yeah, that's that's uh, Andrew Lyers, and he got me onto Bruce Springsteen. Andrew was into rock and roll and all sorts of stuff, and he got me onto Bruce Springsteen. And you went to see Bruce. Sorry, you yeah, went to see Bruce. I think it was the showgrounds in Melbourne in 1985, and I can still feel the music coming from the E Street Band and Bruce on my chest. Born yeah. in the USA. Yeah, that's right. Born in the USA tour it was, so that was really good. So, I think that was. That was his best ever album. Sorry? Uh, well, uh, we talked about Darkness on the Edge of Town and that song that we played earlier, but Born in the USA was a tour de force, wasn't it? Yeah, sure was, yeah. I should say, that what I was going to say about um, Bruce Springsteen, I had, a, I, I, I had a Harley Davidson, as I said, because I had a crash on the thing, but I was also involved with the Harley Owners Group in Melbourne and I got to know a fellow who, who they called Elvis and... Uh, that's because he was just sort of a rock and roll bloke, and his his wife was a worked for a major major music concert promoter, and uh, he was bringing Bruce Springsteen out here. And his wife said to him one day, "Have you got someone from the Harley Owners Group who would like to go for a ride with Bruce Springsteen down the Great Ocean Road?" He never thought I liked Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> didn't so ask he, you. <laughs> didn't ask me. Couldn't find anybody else. So did you kill I, him? <laughs> no, I didn't kill him. Um, so. Bruce went with just this fella, I think. That was it. And I think, boy, this is a golden opportunity missed. You could have been racing in the street with, with Bruce, Bruce Springsteen <laughs> on the Great Ocean Road. Uh, yeah. As you said, regrets, yeah. I've had a few. So, yeah, 17 years or nearly 17 years as the editor of Shepherd News, which was probably the better years, of, some of the best years of my life. I thoroughly enjoyed that. I know. I've spoken to some people who were working there then and they remembered when you... So you were the editor when you had your accident. Yeah, yep, and, yep. And they remember, you know when it happened and it had a massive impact on everyone there. It's, it's sort of interesting, though, that you you, you are not imp- all that important. Like, the world still goes on. Well, like nobody's, re- nobody's ir- irreplaceable. No, that's right. None of us are irreplaceable. And I guess it comes back to that. You know, we what we do is, is it is teamwork. Yeah. And the team keeps going. That's if, right. if If you have been doing your job properly, the team should keep going. Yeah, that's right. You did right. Yeah. We haven't talked about family. Is your wife Pat? Yeah, my wife is Pat. I've she got a, a, a daughter, Skye, who's 42, I think, or 40, nearly 43. Um, a son, Cable, and they both live in, on the Sunshine Coast in Queensland. So. Okay. So you haven't seen them much this year then? Uh, very little. Very little. Um, and Skye's got uh, two sons. One's, I think, 13. The other's uh, 10 or something. Oh, I think that's right. Um, haven't seen them for a long time either. Um, well, let's hope uh, mm. things change soon and a lot of our local families um, can, you know, yeah, reunite. Yeah. I know I've got a dad in Tassie and a mum in Sydney. I haven't seen them either. Yeah. Um, but uh, that's the way of the world at the moment, isn't it? Yeah. It's been okay though. Like I, I guess uh, being older and retired, this stuff's not near as important as unless if you're younger and... Yeah. It's true. And you've lost your job or something. It, mm. it can be quite quite trying. So. so you're 73 now? Yeah, I'm 73, yeah. What does the future hold, Rob? Um, what does the future hold? Let me think. <laughs> um, I, I'm really putting some effort into my, my podcast. Jeez, uh, uh, jeez, um, it's just competition. Come on, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it's been a real learning curve for me because podcasts, as you well know, are all about audio and... I, I've, I knew nothing about audio when I started and it's been quite difficult and I've discovered things about 
hot microphones and all this sort of stuff. Mm. And, um, are they cold ones? <laughs> yeah, hot ones are when they're alive and you're doing something and it picks up your noise and stuff. So Okay. Well, um, certainly that's been a bit of a hallmark of your life, hasn't it? You know, you've been always trying to learn new skills and you go out there and you educate yourself and you yeah, and well, you do it. You do the, do the best you can, yeah. So. Um. Well, unfortunately, we've run out of time and I must say thank you very much for joining us today, Rob. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure me. and I always look forward to seeing what you do next. <laughs> so do I. <laughs> All the very best. Thank you. You've been listening to the Shep Life Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on SoundCloud. Find it on the 1FM Facebook page or search Shep Life Group on Facebook. Once approved, you'll be kept up to date with links to future shows. If you'd like to hear the show live, you can tune in to 98.5 on your radio or stream through fm985.com.au or the TuneIn app on your Android or iOS device. Friday mornings from 9am to midday.